In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Hi, this is Cammie. Our guest today on Money Tales is Melissa Houston. Melissa is someone who knows a lot about the importance of money conversations, and she has faced the consequences of not having them at critical times. Well into her career as a CPA, Melissa found herself slowly unraveling, which made it difficult for her to see a big problem was mounting. It began with weekend shopping trips, a handbag here, a piece of jewelry there. Melissa was spending a lot of money on things that, in hindsight, she really didn't need because it allowed her to stave off a fear she wasn't ready to face. And all the while, she kept the growing debt secret from her husband. Hi, this is Sandy. Melissa was ultimately forced to have the money conversation she was dreading with her husband and their banker. After a lot of reflection and deep coaching work, Melissa identified that she was not living her purpose. She then set off on a course to start her own business. Today, Melissa is a financial strategist for CEOs, a columnist at Forbes.com, and the host of the Business Society podcast. Melissa enjoys helping business owners build their businesses by increasing their financial management skills. She believes your numbers are telling you a story, so make sure you're listening to it. In this episode, Melissa demonstrates the power of vulnerably sharing the details of her money stories. Here are a few key topics she brings to life. First, knowing a lot about money doesn't make you impervious to money missteps. Second, financial infidelity exists and is something to pay attention to. And third, our mistakes, especially money mistakes, don't define us. Please stick around after the interview for our takeaways from this discussion. Now, onto our conversation with Melissa Houston. Welcome to Money Tales, Melissa Houston. It's fantastic to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this talk. Would you start off by introducing yourself briefly and focus on a couple pivotal moments that really make you the person you are today? I am a CPA, which is a chartered professional accountant, and I have been in this field for over 20 years. However, it was not my first career choice. My first career was in social work. I worked in social work for about five to six years, and then I realized this is a really high burnout rate, and I need to find something different to do for many, many years I had for a career. I did the practical decision and became an accountant. As I worked through my accountancy designation, I was learning tremendous amounts of information. And when I started working in the field, uh, I really enjoyed what I was doing. But what I noticed most about what I was missing in most of my jobs in my 20-year career was that I was not helping people as much as I used to. Yes, I was helping them a bit, but I really wanted that deeper connection with people. So I created my business. I started it about two years ago. 
And what I do now is I combine my social work skills with my money skills to help clients understand the importance of managing their money and their business and their personal lives and helping them get over the overwhelm and the fear and focusing on what knowing your numbers can do in your business and how it can make it so much more profitable. A couple of ways I ended up in this field was my dad definitely influenced me on the choice of becoming a CPA. Over the years, noticing that my relationships when I was working with people was really strong and what I saw in pretty much every client I was working with, whether it was in corporate, I was working with project managers, or if it was when I was in public accounting and I was working directly with small to medium-sized business owners, even large corporations where you're working with the CEOs of the business, there wasn't a lot of emphasis on why what we were doing for them was so important in their business. There was a large gap I found for business owners and project managers and anybody who's running a project that wants to make money is not understanding how numbers and knowing your numbers can really help you make that specific project very profitable. Great overview, Melissa. We're going to pull you back in time. Tell us about what it was like growing up. You mentioned your dad influenced you into becoming a CPA, but let's even go further back. How was money handled in your home? I was privileged in the sense that my middle-class family upbringing was great. There was not a lot of financial constraints in the family, but oddly enough, money wasn't really discussed much when I was younger in my formative years. My mother would always have allowances for us and we went shopping together one day. I remember there was this brooch that I wanted. She's like, well, do you have money to pay for it? And I was like, I have money at home. It's in my wallet. And I knew exactly where it was. And she's like, I will lend you the money so you can buy this. I was so excited. When I got home, I went to get my money. I don't know if it was my brother or my sister, but somebody had taken my money and nobody would fess up. And I was the baby of the family. So they had the control. At that moment in time, I learned what debt was about and how easy it was to go into debt. It was very easy to borrow the money and be able to pay it back. Now, I don't want to blame my mom because if my mom's going to listen to this episode, which she usually does, she gets really upset because she's like, you make it all sound like it was my fault. That is not the intent. I really experienced that feeling of how easy it was to borrow money. And that feeling really stuck with me throughout my life. As I got older, money was definitely discussed among the family. I had an older brother and sister moving out, buying houses, the whole bit. That's when I was really exposed to a lot more money talk. And my dad was adamant on choosing careers that were going to make money for you and choosing investments and investing and understanding the value of compound interest and saving for down payments on homes and comparison shopping. He instilled a lot of the money values that I grew up with. And he actually gave me my first book to read about personal financial management. It's called The Wealthy Barber from a Canadian author. Very, very good book. I'll never forget the lessons that I learned in that book. I passed it down to my kids as well. Were you talking about the book with your dad after you read it? Yes. We definitely had an open conversation. And to this day, we do. Up until I was about 18, we didn't talk a lot about money. But afterwards, it's a very common conversation to have at the dinner table. Everybody's comfortable talking about money. Everybody in my family knows how much each other makes. We know how much debt we have, not right down to the penny, but we have a good idea of where everybody's coming from. And we all talk about our financial goals. All because of this book? All because of my dad, I think. My dad being so open about it and talking to us about it and educating us when we were younger. He didn't choose to educate us when we were super young, but when it got to the stage where we were going to university, saving money for houses, stuff like that, he was very much involved in talking to all of us. 
What are some of the things that you learned from those open family conversations about money? I definitely learned about not only the kind of lifestyle that I wanted, because I grew up, like I said, in a middle-class family, and I knew that I wanted the house with the white picket fence, but I never knew how to achieve that. With my dad talking to us about the how, that made a significant difference. And this is something that I notice a lot with people I work with. When you don't know how to do it, that's where you get lost. It sounds like you've brought that how into the work that you're doing with your clients today. Absolutely. I talk about how you make decisions that are going to create the profit in your business or create that wealth in your personal finances. Lay out that roadmap so you have a plan to achieve your goals. I often say a goal without a plan is just a wish. And it's so important to map out your goals so that you can have that stepping stone and you've got that roadmap so that you can make it a reality. When you start measuring your progress against what you had planned, month by month, you see your achievements and it grows, it snowballs, and you eventually get to your goals. It's super helpful. What a gift from your dad, not just the book, but the gift of conversation that then sounds like you all are very comfortable around having these money conversations. Do you take this externally beyond your family? Do you have these conversations with friends or colleagues? Absolutely. First of all, when I met my husband, we talked about finances before we even got engaged. This was something that we had to be very comfortable with and make sure that our goals, our values, and our beliefs were aligned, not just with money, but with everything, getting to know each other. We knew pretty early on that things were going to get serious. And then with my colleagues, especially being a CPA, I always brought up like, I'm thinking about investing in this stock. What do you think? And people would be like, why are you talking to me about this? But it became very regular conversation where we would talk about money and debt and borrowing and the price of things and comparison shopping. Those type of money conversations are very normal. When you're around me and you're in my presence, it's a very normal thing to talk about. I don't care how much money I have, and I'm not even trying to elude the fact that I have a lot, but I always love a bargain. If I can find something for $5 cheaper somewhere else, you bet I'm on it. We had a podcast guest who really advocates for that. Just ask if there's a discount. Do you? Absolutely. Everything can be negotiated within reason. But yes, especially with mortgage rates and stuff like that. There's so many things that people don't understand where there's some wiggle room to get more off something. When I know that I can do it, like buying a car, I always look for the best deal. It's kind of like a game for me. I get a lot of joy out of it. Will you tell us about being a social worker and what sort of career preparation you needed for that work and how money was involved in your life when you were doing that? I remember when I was choosing social work, I had this innate need to help people. And my dad was always saying, that is not a good profession to pick because you're not going to make enough money. I was rebellious, 18, whatever, dad, I'm going to do what I want. When he was raising me and my sister, my brother too, but more so my sister and I, we were being raised in the 70s. So things were very different back then. Women were told often they couldn't do things like become a professional engineer or a doctor or a lawyer, whatever, because of their gender. But with my dad, it never even occurred to me that I couldn't do something because of my gender. He always encouraged us to pick careers where we were going to be okay financially. He's like, money does not make you happy, but money sure takes away a lot of problems. Ensuring that he set us up with education funds and stuff to make sure that we were going to get educated. It was an expectation, not a heavily endorsed one because becoming a social worker was definitely not on his list of great choices. 
I had that exposure and I really understood that the profession I chose was going to help set up my financial future. I feel a lot of people don't have that knowledge when they're choosing their profession. I'm not trying to advocate to say, choose your profession based on the amount of money that you're going to make, but take into consideration what you're going to make when you choose your profession. So you went into it knowing from the warnings from your dad that it wasn't going to make a lot of money for you, but you wanted to help people. I was thinking I'm going to help people. I'm going to satisfy what is burning in my soul. I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to trust the process. I'm not going to lie. Throughout the years, my dad's voice was echoing in my head saying, this was really not the best choice because I'm making nothing. I'm giving everything I have and I'm making very little money to support myself. The hours were not great. And I knew that if I wanted to start a family of my own, I would be sacrificing a lot being in this field because I wondered what I would be able to bring home to my husband and my kids. That's where I ended up in business. I think your background is so interesting because my understanding of social workers is that there is a lot of emphasis on communication and on some of the skills you've already mentioned that help really good money conversations like being able to identify goals and values. Did you find as a result of doing that work for a period of time that you were able to have different money conversations? In social work, a lot of the money conversations were if you were a business person and you were out there making money, then you were a bad person. There was a lot of mindset around people having money, but that was something that really didn't affect me, to be honest. And I haven't even thought about this for years. But because I knew so many wealthy people, I knew that they weren't bad people because they had money. With money comes a lot of really good things you can do with that money. Philanthropy work, donating time, donating money, donating whatever. There's so many good things you can do to help others. It's not a bad thing. That's interesting that that was the perception of the people that you're working with. There's so many judgments and stereotypes about money, good and bad. There really are. Money is definitely the most emotionally charged topic I find. You sound like a money pro. Do you think you are? Have you made mistakes along the way? And if so, what have you learned? I've definitely made mistakes of my own. It sounds like I might be sitting on my soapbox preaching, but that is not the intent because I actually got myself derailed off our financial plans five or six years ago now. Something was lacking in my life. As I mentioned earlier, my husband and I, we had very tight financial goals. We both agreed to what we were working towards. We both had our financial vision of what we wanted our life to look like. I ended up messing that up because of being irresponsible and I spent $100,000 worth of credit and about 60% of that he was not aware of. I hid it from him and it took me about a year to burn through $100,000 of credit. That was definitely a low point in my life. Can you say more about what was going on for you at the time and what was prompting you to deviate from the plans that you and your husband had made? Hindsight's always twenty twenty. At the time, I definitely did not recognize what was going on. After I got into this immense pile of debt and I hid it for my husband, I had to come clean because I'd ran through all the credit. We literally had nothing to pay bills with. We had to move some money out of our financial accounts and I couldn't do that without his permission. He needed to be there at the bank. I didn't even have the courage to tell him what was going on for the bank meeting until we got there. This is really helpful information for listeners because people get into sticky situations with debt all the time. The hardest part can be acknowledging it moving forward. 
I'd love to learn more so that our listeners can learn from you and your experience. That's the reason why I share my story so people can learn and grow from it and understand that our mistakes don't define us. I remember being at the bank and being very nervous because I knew poop was about to hit the fan. When he found out, I just remember him looking at me, the disappointment in his eyes that's frozen in time. I get really choked up when I think about it because I was like, I never ever want to have him look at me like that again. This is infidelity. This is financial infidelity. I didn't realize it was that until maybe a year ago. Hearing that label was really hard for me as well. We talked about it after the bank meeting. I was like, I never want to do this again. And obviously there was a lot of trust broken. He was really hurt that I had hidden it from him. I'm not going to make him sound oblivious. He knew something was going on and he kept asking me and I kept reassuring him, no, everything's fine. Finances are fine. And he had left me in control of the finances because I'm a money person. So he trusted me. There was a lot of explaining to do, but I also realized because of that vision of him being so disappointed, I have to figure out why I did this. I have to figure out what was going on because the whole time I was doing it, I knew better. It's not like I was just blindly taking money out of the account. I knew I was taking money out of the account. I knew I was putting a larger interest expense on the cost of debt. That's wasted money. I was paying hundreds of dollars each month to carry the financial disaster I was creating. And I knew that the money was going to run out. And you know what? I honestly didn't care. I felt so out of control. I didn't care. I was like, I want what I want. And I was buying stupid things and I was buying new clothes, new stuff for the house. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger, the things I was buying. And then eventually we were installing a swimming pool in our backyard because I was like, that's the thing we need to make me happy. Looking back on it, I even remember when the swimming pool was being installed and it was done. I remember standing there looking at the pool thinking that wasn't what I was missing. I knew this stuff was out of control, but I didn't know how to stop it. I started working through it because I was like, if there's anything that's going to happen, it's going to be that I'm going to learn from this. I am not going to repeat this. At first I thought it must be my weight because I'd gained weight over the years and tried diets and failed and stuff like that. So I joined a gym again and that wasn't it. Going through different things. And I ended up meeting this health coach. And at the time I knew nothing about coaching. She explained to me, she's like, I just started a program of my own where I'm learning and I need a couple of clients to do a trial run on. Would you be interested? I was like, sure. And I was thinking in my head, well, if anything, it's just going to be another program. I'm going to fail. Right away, it was set up for disaster. But as we started meeting, I realized, oh my God, this coaching thing has nothing to do with my health and wellness in the sense of physical activity. We started peeling back the layers. To fast forward the whole story, it ended up being that I had the idea of merging my social work with my money skills at least a decade before this. And I kept stuffing it down and stuffing it down and saying, it's not the right time. I've got a great job. Can't leave my job. The kids aren't ready, this, that, and the other. My 101 excuses, but really I was scared. Once I realized that that was really what was going on and that was missing in my life, I worked through all those feelings and I got the courage to do what I feel I was really meant to do. This is the lesson I've learned. When we're not true to ourselves, it can come out in our behavior in so many different ways. It's so fascinating, Melissa, that you learned that you were scared, yet when you were spending and going into debt, that didn't have any sort of feeling for you. On the surface, I knew everything was okay because I'm like, I like my husband. He bugs me sometimes, but we've got a good relationship. My kids are all right. I've got a couple of dogs. Life is good. My parents are healthy and happy. What is my problem? It was my career move. 
At that point, did you make the decision to start your business? So it was working through with my coach and really understanding what I was scared of. And I worked with her through the fear of, I don't want to put myself out there and start this business and everybody's going to hate me and nobody's going to buy from me and it's going to end up a complete disaster and stuff like that. And working through those feelings, once I got to the point where I was like, you know what, I can do this. And it really didn't take long. I think it took like two sessions. Once that switch got flipped, I was 200% in and I never looked back. I have never felt happier. What were you doing with the debt at that point? First of all, I cut back my spending. Gratefully, we did have a good financial foundation, so we were able to transfer some money in our savings. Unfortunately, my husband still bugs me about that because I did put us back a little bit. It wasn't financial disaster in the sense of losing our home and stuff. It was moving money out of savings, clearing up that debt, and ensuring that I stopped spending. I definitely lost those triggers. I identified the triggers when I wanted to go online and start shopping and looking for things that are going to make me feel better. But it's funny because once I started focusing on the business, those triggers were gone. I don't remember the last time I ever felt that need to start looking for something to buy or make myself feel better in some different way. Nothing is perfect in life. I'm not going to say that my life is absolutely perfect now. But that sense of emptiness and sense of wondering what in the hell I'm doing on this earth is gone. Lucky you. And I don't mean lucky in that you lucked into it. You worked really hard for that fortune. Congratulations for that. Thank you. Lucky me now. And that's the only reason why I don't regret this story is because I learned so much from it. Had I taken that and not learned from it, it would have been an absolute disaster. Tell us more about the conversations you and your husband were having as you were having these aha moments and understanding the source of your spending and your emotions. How were you guys getting back on track with each other and your money conversations? It took him some time. And I'm not going to say that he completely trusts me 100%, but it took him some time. And through the communication and through him understanding why it was so important for me to choose a different career path, he's always been very supportive. Now, what happens is if there's money going to be spent on my business, he's informed. If we're planning Christmas for the kids, whatever, we talk about who's spending what, what are we spending? It's just more back on track from before and after, except I think that we're stronger for it now. It sounds weird, but we are stronger for it. He's definitely my biggest supporter and I feel that I am his. He totally supports building the business and putting money behind the business at the beginning to get it going and believes in me. So that's really comforting knowing that I have the support because I know not everybody has that same support. A very inspiring story. What's not so inspiring was my dad was really mad. (laughs) Let's go back to this. You said earlier that your family has money conversations all the time. Everyone knows how in debt people are. Were you fessing up in those conversations? At the time, nobody knew. When I fessed up after, I don't think my dad can still talk about it with me. He's very disappointed. And for him, money is not a renewable resource. It's like, you lost this money. It's gone. How could you do this? But I think that's also part of, he's older now and he's aging and he has a bit of dementia. There's less flexibility in his thought process. Other than that, my dad still loves me and stuff, but they were disappointed to learn that I had gotten off track. 
But they also have learned since the reasons why I had gotten off track. And they're very happy to see me pursuing my dreams. And thriving, I'm sure. That must be a wonderful sense. Disappointment isn't just one line. There's disappointment, but there must be such joy for a man to encourage financial stability. Sounds like you've created it by merging your two dreams. For sure. You've mentioned your children. How old are they? My daughter is 18 and my son is 19. So they were teens when this was all going down. Yeah, but they had been spoken to about money since they could walk. Tell us about those family money conversations as you were, again, having these realizations, having charged up a lot of debt for the family. They were both raised in the same environment where we talked openly about money. My dad still spoke to the kids the way he spoke with us when we were growing up. I had been more cognizant of teaching kids about debt and not wanting to let them take on any type of debt. I knew before I'd gotten massive debt that I was very comfortable carrying debt. The funny thing is my son absorbed every bit of knowledge he could get about this. He set up his own savings account and he's very cognizant of his money and where it goes and how he spends it and choosing his profession. Where my daughter, love her dearly, is a spender. She has a very different attitude and relationship with money where she is the spender. She's responsible enough to be earning her own money. She has a job. When her paychecks come in, she's spending it. We talk to her about saving money and creating financial goals. And she's like, I'm young. I've got time. She's like me. (laughs) I've got life to live. I'm going to enjoy life. Given the fact that she's 18, I'm not overly worried about it because I know that she's got that foundation in there. But it's very interesting to me to see the two different personalities and relationships with money. And do you guys talk about that? Do they see it in themselves? They do, yeah. And she's like, I have no shame. That's so great, though. What wonderful awareness. You're highlighting one of the powers of having money conversations. We can all understand our own perspectives and habits and how they compare with others. And there's not a right or wrong. There just is. Exactly. And she has that knowledge to know that if she wants things, she's going to have to figure out how to get them. It's not that entitlement. It's not, I just wanted some, you're going to give it to me. It's always been ingrained with me, with my husband, with the kids. If you want something, you have to work for it. You have to earn it. Just because you're coming from a place of maybe some privilege or you've got a little bit more than what your friends do or whatever, that doesn't matter. The point is you are your sole person. You need to create your path because nobody is going to support that but you. As an entrepreneur, you have to set prices. You have to ask people for money. Tell us about how you go about doing that and how it makes you feel. I love this question because when I was in social work, especially being in Canada, because we don't charge for services in Canada, having that healthcare system and stuff, I struggled at the beginning of entrepreneurship with this. Being in social work and believing if you're going to help somebody, you should be doing it for free. And then working as an accountant, I never sold my services. People came to you, would find you in the yellow pages, whatever, and hire you. And that would be that. Being an entrepreneur and being in this online world and having to figure out everything about running a business or starting a business, I quickly realized, and I never would have believed that I would have had this money mindset issue, but I had a really hard time with sales. And I had a really hard time asking for money for my services and pricing it accordingly. And if anybody had told me, I would have been like, not me. I'm pretty self-aware. So when I figured out very quickly that I had this issue, I did go seek out a mindset coach and work on that immediately. 
But I often see this with other clients and I totally relate. Sometimes it's really hard to charge what we're worth and it makes us so vulnerable because we're opening ourselves up to that rejection of people thinking that we're not worthy of it. So I separate the emotion from the fact this is my hourly rate. This is competitive, fair. If you're not my people, you're not my people. I really appreciate when you are challenged with something, you reach out and you get coached by people who are experts in a certain area. That's great awareness. We sometimes think we have to solve this stuff by ourselves. I wouldn't even have thought a mindset coach. Tell us more about mindset coaching. What sort of exercises did you do? That was about two years ago. And she did take me through a lot of my exercises, but it took two sessions to work through that issue. So it wasn't like I was signing up for a 10-year program. But two one-hour sessions and working through the thought process and understanding why I was having such a hard time, first of all, selling and then secondly, charging. Ironically enough, my parents' attitudes when I was growing up about salespeople, salespeople were awful people. If you were selling something, you were trying to rip them off. And I had carried that with me. So when I was trying to sell my services, that's what I would hear. My parents thinking that salespeople were awful being conflicted with, well, I'm a social worker, I shouldn't be charging for this, I should be doing this for free. Identifying those issues and knowing that they were just triggers and not in fact truth was super helpful. And then practicing, keeping what I learned with my mindset coach in my head when I was doing sales calls and practicing over and over again, got me better at sales. Noticing a trend here, two sessions of coaching and you're on a new path. (laughs) If you hire the right ones and the good ones, then it can be pretty quick. And if you're self-aware and you're coachable. It's not this long, arduous process. Sometimes you just need to start. Start having those money conversations. Start working on whatever you're working on. It's great. The longer you sweep it under the rug, it's still going to be there. And that dirt pile keeps growing as you keep sweeping things under the rug. It's not going anywhere. It's just making things worse. Melissa, you have shared so much advice today. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners that hasn't come up in our conversation? I really want people to understand the reason I share is that if you can relate to any of it, you also can understand that there's a way out. Life is not perfect. Life can be messy and we all make mistakes even when we know better. We're just human. If you're having these issues, I really encourage you to look within to see how you can help yourself and go seek that help. There's no shame in doing things with somebody. It's really hard to do things alone. So having that support system in place is super important. What's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? Our next money conversation is deciding what we're going to do with our house. Our kids are older now and we're trying to figure out, do we buy a cottage we can live at year round or do we stay in the house? We're at that point where we're trying to figure out our living situation and trying to take things in stride and enjoy life the best we can. That sounds like a really fun money conversation, but a lot of visioning involved to help you guys figure out what is going to suit you best. We wish you the best of luck with that. Thank you so much for having such an honest and vulnerable conversation with us. There's so much that you shared that all of us can relate to in one way or another and learn from. We appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. As painful as it is to remember where I went wrong, it's also good to help get that story out and let people know that they're not alone. So I really appreciate you talking with me about this and not judging me. Thank you so much, Melissa. 
Kemi, that was an amazing conversation with Melissa Houston. There are so many takeaways from what she had to share. What's one that really stands out for you? First, Melissa was so vulnerable and open and sounds like that's who she is and it's a gift to all of us who hear her story. One thing that really came out was she's very smart with money. She's a CPA, she's a student of finance, but the idea that knowing a lot about money doesn't make you impervious to money missteps was such an important message. We're not perfect. This is not, you have to know everything about finance because she's a CPA, she can't make these mistakes. As a result, she probably delayed acknowledging this issue for even longer because she didn't want to be judged. And she talked a bit about that. And I really appreciated her sharing that and bringing it to life for everybody listening. Melissa made it very clear that there is an emotional aspect to money, which is very different than the technical knowledge about how money works. And the emotional part of money is so strong. It's not about perfection. It's about moving through life, being clear on what's most important to us and making the best decisions we can for ourselves. How about you? What was one of your key takeaways that you want to elaborate on? On what you were saying before about all the vulnerability that Melissa brought to the conversation, I appreciated her sharing deeply about the financial infidelity that she brought to her marriage with her husband when she was telling the story of sitting down with him and having the banker present and seeing the disappointment in her husband's eyes. I had this very strong reaction. I appreciated Melissa sharing that because it's something that people in relationships, whether they're marriages, romantic relationships, or other relationships, it's something we all face. We do things from time to time that either we're not proud of or we feel shame around. And if we hide those feelings and those actions, that can often lead to consequences Melissa did something in our conversation that many people would be afraid to do. I want to applaud her bravery for sharing that so that we can all learn from her. I'm so glad to hear that Melissa's marriage is in a much stronger place now and that she and her husband have successfully worked through it. It sounds like there's still some more work to do, which is also good to hear that we can make these mistakes and those that are most important to us and who love and care about us can stick in there and help support us and help us find our way. She was so brave to have that conversation with her husband and a banker at that time because it could have gotten worse, but she stopped it. She was aware and she was aware because of work she was doing that made it apparent. Another message that Melissa shared was that our mistakes don't define us. In this case, our money mistakes don't define us and didn't define Melissa. That's so important. As a result, we can feel more comfortable acknowledging that mistakes happen and we can not let them build to a point where you're really in a big problem. I'm going to keep Melissa's stories front of mind so that the next time I do something I wish I hadn't done and I'm afraid to face the consequences, I'm just going to do a little replay of this episode of Melissa's stories to help get me through that moment. So thank you for that, Melissa. This conversation was so helpful and you are an amazing person to have worked through this situation. I'm so glad that you were able to find the truth in who you are and what you want to achieve in your life. I appreciate the inspiration that your story provides to us and our listeners. We look forward to hearing from you. You can reach us at podcasts at Asperient.com. 
please share your money stories with us. And we encourage you to subscribe and share this episode or Money Tales in general with your friends and family. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog, Fathom, head on over to Asperient.com slash podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Money Tales. Money Tales.